0: Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own.
1: Check out the Johncast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. If you've lived in the Philadelphia area for a while, you might recognize the name Kerbeck from the local car dealership. But you might not know that one of the Kerbecks became a corporate spy. Yes, that's right, a real-life corporate spy, pulling information out of one major company or Wall Street firm and selling it to another. All while trying to build an acting career, by the way. Robert Kerbeck has written a memoir about his journey. It's called Ruse, Lying the American Dream from Hollywood to Wall Street, and it's in the process of being made into a TV series. I thought, you really don't see evidence of this kind of thing in real life very often. So I had to talk to Robert himself. He was happy to chat and give us a little taste of his absolutely wild life story. So your story is pretty wild. <laughs> you <laughs> you grew up in the Philadelphia area, went to Lower Moreland High School, and then Penn. Walk me through the start of your career path, and then when it took a Rather unexpected turn, I, I guess we can say.
0: Yeah, I didn't uh, intend to become a corporate spy. Um, <laughs> I, as you said, I grew up in, in the Philadelphia suburbs and my family, the Quebec family, is well known in the area in the automobile business. My great grandfather sold horse carriages in Philadelphia before automobiles were invented. And then uh, he switched to selling cars. My grandfather took over that dealership. My father took over that dealership. And I was expected to take over that dealership. And when I graduated from Penn, I did go and work in the in the family car business at, at a dealership on, on North Broad, 2400 block of North Broad Street. And um, I just found that car sales wasn't really for me. You know, there's a bit of trickery with car sales that goes on. And when I was at Penn, I had kind of, uh, gotten bitten by the acting bug. And so I wanted to try move to New York to become an actor. I needed a survival job. And of course, who stumbles into a job as a corporate spy, but that's what happened to me.
1: <laughs> okay. So how did you make, how did you come across your court first corporate spy job? Like how does one, how do you even discover that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, My college roommate, uh, his brother was in New York and he was an actor. And so I didn't know anybody in New York. I didn't know anybody who had tried to become a professional actor. And so he kind of took me under his wing and was showing me the ropes. And uh, one day he kind of casually mentioned this very mysterious sounding job. And and I said, boy, I I need a job. And uh, then he kind of stopped talking about it and clammed up and uh, wouldn't kind of give me a lot of information. I had to beg him to get me an interview um, with this woman who uh, ran this firm. And so he finally did. And I went up to the Upper East Side to interview with this woman. And she had this luxurious penthouse apartment with a doorman. Uh, And so right away, I knew whatever she did, it was lucrative. Mm -hmm. Um, And her apartment was spectacular. Everything was white. She had a polar bear rug. Um, I mean, it was really a, a crazy scene. And, and so I go in for this interview and she never asks me a question about my skills, about my experiences. She basically just talks about my father and my relationship with my father. And, and, and I remember being very kind of off put and I leave thinking, well, you know, I didn't get that job because she didn't even ask me a question about my skills. And uh, my buddy called and said, you're hired. And so I was pretty pleased with myself. And uh, he said, don't 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 get too uh, uh, excited. Uh, She hires everyone because no one can do this job. Interesting. And so then the next day I went and I started training um, at this woman's place and all of a sudden began to realize I had thought it was some sort of telemarketing job and began to realize that we were being tasked with extracting private information from major corporations.
1: So yeah. what did you do at this job? I mean, you're what, calling up a total stranger at a company and somehow convincing them to tell you their secrets? How does this work?
0: Yeah, so we, we all know the Russians spy on the Chinese and the Chinese spy on us. But what most people were shocked by and have been shocked by with the book is that major American corporations are hiring spies like I was uh, nearly every day. To extract secret and private information from their competitors. I mean, it is just, you know, part of the business model that this is what corporations are doing every day. And so, what we would do, because we were actors, remember, what we would do is we would create personas and characters, um, we would do accents, we would do all kinds of things to enable us to. you know trick people into telling us things that they should not. So remember back in the day before LinkedIn, you know, we didn't know who worked at what company. We didn't know what their title was. We didn't know what the corporate hierarchy or the organizational chart looked like, right? So we would start with that. We would basically get the organizational chart. The purpose of that was is not only did The corporations want to identify who was at their rivals, but they also, most importantly, wanted to know who the rock stars were at those firms, right? Everybody, when they go in for a job interview, is going to go, Oh, I'm the best one on the team. You know, if it's a sales team, Oh, I'm number two on the sales team. Well, what we would determine is we would get people to tell us what the actual internal rankings of the employees were. So what were their sales revenues? What were, if there was a trading desk, where did they rank on the trading desk? So we could literally definitively tell you know, our clients, these are the top 10 traders. Here's number one, here's number two, here's number three. And so you could imagine just as an example, like a Wall Street bank, if you could steal the number two trader at Morgan Stanley and bring them to your firm, that, that could result in billions of dollars in revenue in terms of a number two trader bringing his business, bringing, you know, that particular person's acumen to your firm. It literally, it was like a game changer. Um, there's a very famous story that Steve Jobs um, would not allow the names of his designers to be listed in the Apple corporate directory because he didn't want anyone to know about them because he didn't want anyone to steal them, right? Wow. So imagine if you could find out the name uh, in the early stages of the designer of the iPad, for example, and imagine if you could, you know, get, you know, you were a rival and you could poach that individual and maybe a couple of people on their team. Imagine how valuable that would be.
1: Wow. This is just like the kind of stuff that you see in movies or, or re- I mean, read about in books, but usually not an autobiography. It's uh, just, I think it's wild that this actually happens. And then the whole time, you were still working on your acting career throughout all of this, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the funny thing is, is for a lot of years that I was doing this buying job, I was getting eight dollars an hour. Uh, which, of course, looking back on it, I, I, it just seems ridiculous that I was, you know, doing these kind of risky things uh, for such a small amount of money. But we weren't doing this; it wasn't a career. We weren't. We just needed a job to survive because we were going to all. You know, I was going to make it as a big actor, and. And I did work a great deal. You know, I did over 50 major roles in major TV shows. You know, I killed George Clooney on a TV show called Sisters (laughs) so that he could go to a show that you probably never heard of called ER. Oh, Um, right, that one. Yeah, that one. You know, (laughs) Um, I did plays at the Kennedy Center and the Long Wharf Theater. And then when I came to Los Angeles, I did Melrose Place and NYPD Blue and ER and Star Trek and, you know, all of these things. But, you know, act as you know, when you're an actor, you know, you you get a job. And then as soon as that job ends, you're unemployed again. And it's very difficult to keep it going unless you get a series. And I uh, did book four pilots um, and none of those pilots got picked up, unfortunately. Um, And then generally, once you've had a series, you're kind of established. You know, people know who you are. Right. And I was never able to kind of break break through from like that, you know, working character actor breaking through to being like a series regular, a series star.
1: Hmm. So what would you consider your career at this point? I mean, you've written several books now. So is that kind of your main thing or looking back yeah. on, on your life? Would you call yourself a writer, an actor, a corporate spy, all of the above? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you know, uh, I've had I've, I think I've had five careers, you know, there was, right. uh, uh, you know, uh, car salesman, actor. Uh, corporate spy. And then when the crash of 2008 came, um, of course, all business, you know, stopped uh, because of the the economic crisis. And I had to take a job in corporate America. And I went to work for a major executive recruiting firm uh, for a year and a half. And uh, what was amazing to me, you know, in Ruse, uh, you know, I'm constantly uh, tricking people and deceiving people. And so if your listeners, Uh, you know, want to know, like, you know, do I get my comeuppance uh, in the book? The answer is yes. And and it happens when I go to work on Wall Street. So here I am kind of being the deceiver. And I go to work uh, at this executive recruiting firm. And all of a sudden, I'm the one getting tricked. And Mm. I'm the one being deceived. And I'm the one that is incredibly naive. And the thing that was really shocking to me was how much lying was done face to face. um, So that people would tell me a lie about something and they would even know that I knew that they were lying, but they would still lie. It was just the way it was, you know, um, very cutthroat wall street and, and the, you know, companies that surround wall street, incredibly cutthroat, you know, it's kind of like the best liar wins. Mm. Um, and it was really shocking to me. And so that's another career. And then of course, now I am a writer. That's really what I do full time. Um, and it's funny you mentioned about ruse being such a crazy story and, kind of ready-made for a TV series. And it is in development for a TV series.
1: Right. Yeah, that's right. So I want to go back though, to how did you feel about all of this when you were doing it? You know, when you got to the point in the job where you realized you had to lie and your job was going to be deceiving people, but you kept doing it, did you feel like guilty about all of this? Did you feel conflicted? Like, is this even legal? (laughs)
0: Mm. Uh, well, it's definitely in the, you know, forget about the gray area. It's definitely in the dark gray. And Mm -hmm. at one point, um, I talk about in the book, um, I was being hunted by the authorities, um, because they actually thought I was the most famous hacker in the world. Um, and this is in the early nineties, um, when the internet was first being developed and there was this, um, hacker who was, You know, doing all these shenanigans, they thought to basically shut down the Internet. Um, And somehow they, because of my calls, they thought that I was this guy. Um, And so that moment in time was incredibly frightening and a real wake up call because here we were these actors doing this job going, well, at the end of the day, most of the information we're getting. Is designed to help people get better jobs, right? Um, we're not stealing people's credit card numbers, you know. We're not taking advantage of the elderly, you know. We're dinging Wall Street firms, and you know. Um, and forgive me, but we all know that Wall Street firms don't have the best record in terms of taking care of consumers. Sure. So that was kind of the rationalization there. But of course, when you have the authorities, you know, knocking on your proverbial door. Um, Then it got very real. Um, And that was the moment where, you know, we, it was a real wake up call that this job that we thought was, you know, like I said, in the gray area, suddenly was in the very dark gray area.
1: Yeah. And so then the morals of it all that I didn't realize you were making so little money doing something that ultimately makes these companies so much more money if they successfully steal somebody. Right. So, like, is that just a little bit defeating or demoralizing that you are, you know, especially when you started as an actor with this good hearted effort to entertain people and then you, know, you end up doing this and it's almost like this these companies were taking advantage of you,
0: too. Ah, uh, well, yeah. And I think there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of frustration Uh, when I was doing this, this job that I couldn't get paid more. And because I coming from a business family, coming from the Quebec car family, you know, my family are all entrepreneurs. I knew that there was a tremendous amount of money. I mean, we see it with LinkedIn, how much money, you know, LinkedIn is worth, you know, billions and billions and billions of dollars. So, and LinkedIn obviously recognized that there was an incredible amount of money to be made in terms of having this corporate data move from the private realm to the public realm, right? And they've done that very successfully. Somewhere before then, I would say it was in the early aughts, so 2002, I really began to realize that there was a lot of money to be made here, and I should be getting that money. And that was when I started to kind of go out on my own. And suddenly, for the first time, I actually did start to make a a lot of money at, at this job. And what was shocking to me is my income, which had been very uh, modest for many years doing this job, all of a sudden exploded exponentially. Until at one point, right before the crash, I was making two million dollars a year doing this job. Wow! From eight dollars an hour to two million uh, to two million a year. Yes, and and that happened really fast um, because the information. There was no other way to get this information. And it was so valuable. And then, of course, we were in the run up to the crash where everything was, you know, that kind of irrational exuberance. Hmm. Right. Um, And so corporations were just willing to pay more and more for this kind of intelligence. And it got very competitive. Um, You know, people were begging me to do work for them.
1: Wow. Well, I mean, good for you for for claiming that money. And then at the same time, you know, it's like, The the acting that you were trying to get into TV is that you initially loved doing, you know, I mean, unless you are a mega star, you're not going to make two million dollars a year as an actor. But this corporate spying that is, you know, a little bit morally questionable does make that kind of money. It's like this world, man. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So, uh, somebody wrote a review uh, somewhere and uh, they said something like, you know, shank the man and rake in the box. Um, and and, it, and that's kind of I think, even though I never thought of it like that, that when I read that line, I laughed because I said it's kind of accurate because that's what we were thinking is, wait a second, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel bad for Goldman Sachs, boo-hoo for J.P. Morgan. I don't think so, you know. Um, and, and, you know, we worked in all kinds of industries. It wasn't just Wall Street, but it was predominantly Wall Street. Um, and, of course, you know, as we know, there's a strong argue, argument to be made that the crash of 2008 was a result of the greed of Wall Street. Um, and a lot of the financial shenanigans that went on that, of course, you know, average consumers, many consumers were decimated by the mortgage crisis, um, and so, yeah, so that was kind of, you know, even though I always had an ethical issue with the job and, 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 and at times really struggled with it. And in the book, I reckon with that, you know, I reckon with that sure. at one point, my child hears me rusing on the phone, my eight year old and says, dad, are you a hacker? Hmm. And, and I have to explain, um, you know, kind of what I do. And I say, well, no, no, I'm not really a hacker. And, you know, I'm just getting information that helps get people better jobs. And I'm rationalizing. And my child, of course, you know, being an eight-year-old says, but it's dishonest. And I had to say, yeah, it is. And that was the moment when I said, I, I, can't, I can't do this job anymore. I don't want to do this job anymore. And that was kind of the, the proverbial light finally went off and I and I, and then basically transitioned out of the job Um, and out of the line. Um, And that's why I can write about it now, because theoretically, the statute of limitations for whatever crimes I may have committed has now passed.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, right, legally, or there were there like NDAs? You're you're at a point where even from the company's standpoints who you worked for, you're allowed to talk about it. Are you allowed to, like, say who you were working for and who you were getting information from?
0: Well, that's a great question. In the book, in Ruse, I changed all the company names, um, and I changed the company names um, not because I didn't work for those companies, and not because these companies didn't hire me, um, but because you know these companies have armies of attorneys on staff, and they could make my life very difficult and very expensive just because they wanted to, you know, you know, make a point or or, or whatever they wanted to do, and I just did not want that to be a possibility. So I changed all the names of the corporations in the book.
1: OK, we have to take a quick break here. But in a minute, we'll hear a little bit of what one of Robert's ruses sounds like. We'll be right back. We're back on KYW News Radio in-depth with Robert Kerbeck talking about his memoir and his career as a corporate spy. OK, so obviously we want people to go and get your book if they want all of the the juicy details. But can you give us like a little tease of one of your best ruses or cons.
0: Yeah, this is Gerhard calling from the office in Frankfurt. We have the European Union regulators here this week, and we need some information from the states on the people there on the equities trading desk, yeah? It's an emergency. We have the European Union regulators and the U.S. regulators here. We need some help, right? So we would do these, we create these characters often with accents. And as crazy as that ploy sounds, in all my years doing the German accent ploy, I never had one person refuse that ploy. Wow! The more outlandish the ploy was, it's sort of counterintuitive, the more believable it becomes. Who Who's going to be making up a German accent and saying they're calling from some European office, having some emergency, needing, who's, it doesn't, right? It doesn't make sense that somebody would you, you know. So you go, okay, well, this must be the case. And of course, one of the things about corporate America that we uh, regularly banked on, pun intended, <laughs> was that um, people are trained to be what in, in corporate America? They're trained to be a good teammate, Right, you, corporate culture help out your you know your team work together. You know your part, your, the company is like you know a football team or a basketball team. Got to all work together and be a good teammate. And so we would utilize that to our advantage. Of oh my gosh, there's an issue in Europe. You know because remember all of these firms are global now. Most most major corporations have offices all over the world, or at least an office in London, New York, you know Singapore, Hong Kong. You know, so it makes it easier to pretend to be somebody from a sort of far-flung location um, that no one is going to actually personally know, but they know of, right? And they can look up on their system and go, oh, oh, it is Gerhard uh, Kleiner in the Frankfurt office. Oh, he's a managing director there. Oh, well, of course, this is a legitimate request. Sure, Gerhard, what do you need?
1: My brain went through a whole lot of things while you were telling that story. One was like, There's no way people today would buy that, what you, you know, that accent and the thing on the phone. But then I came all the way around the other side and the number of people who buy into like phishing emails is, is shocking. So do you Mm -hmm. think that that kind of thing would work or does work? Is it still happening today? Is it happening in the same way or is it more digital now?
0: Uh, You could tell me something you wanted to know give me about 45 minutes to do some due diligence and some research, and I will be able to find that information out for you. Wow. Uh, the, the telephone still works. It's the human connection. You know, I, I do a lot of um, interviews and podcasts about cybersecurity and cybercrime. And, you know, everybody's always talking about their computer system, this, and and the most advanced uh, protection, that. and all, And I always say the weakest link The weakest link in computer security is the human being. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I used to be able to get people to go into the database to put in their password. I didn't even need a password. They had the password. And they would put in their password into whatever database I wanted to extract information from. And they would look up all of this private information, financial information, employee salary information, all kinds of private stuff. And then they would tell me that information. And if they didn't have access to it, then I would get them to make a phone call to someone else in the corporation that would get it for them. And then they would come back and tell it to me, right? So the weakest link is the human being. And if you can establish a personal connection with someone, which is usually best over the phone, right? Um, And it's an emergency, it's a crisis, we need help. um, It is really um, shocking what people will tell you it's the proverbial, you know, the, the story, you know, strangers on a train, you know, you're on a train or, you know, and then all of a sudden two strangers start a conversation and they're telling, telling each other things that they would never tell their friend, their best friend Mm -hmm. or their spouse, Uh, but yet a a complete stranger you, you open up to. And so there's something about that telephone connection that it's like that um, where you're a stranger, but you have a legitimate reason. And so uh, people just start saying things. It's really incredible. I I mean, I, the stuff I used to find out again, I wasn't even, and they, people would talk about someone's drinking problem, someone's affair, you know, I, yeah, all the time, all the time.
1: Wow. Fascinating. So tell me a bit about the TV series that is being made out of, out of your book. Um, it's with Silver Lining Entertainment and A&E studio how did this come about? What's your involvement in the, the creation process of all this?
0: Yes yeah, so the you know the, one of the executive producers uh, read the book and he thought it would make a, a uh, he, he really liked it but and then he sent it to the head of scripted for the production company and she really flipped about it. Um, as uh, you and your listeners know there are a lot of uh, amazing true crime shows now, right We had the mm-hmm. dropout um, about Theranos and uh, WeWork uh, and the, you know, uh, uh, Super Pumped about Uber, right? They're all these great shows. So she really saw the, the, you know, that this this had a lot of um, interest. And of course, the world of corporate spying has really not been seen. And we've seen a lot of spying, but we haven't seen this, this world of corporate spying. It's a new world. And so we, you know, the process um, is really fascinating. You know, uh, at one point uh, we had a call and and the head of script said, Well, all we need is a writer now. And I said, Well, you know, isn't that me? And the answer <laughs> to that is no. <laughs>
1: ah.
0: <laughs> the book writer is not the writer. Uh, it's what they call the showrunner, who is the creator of the show and, and runs the show. And that's someone who, who has a lot of experience on sets, writing pilots, writing scripts. Um, and so we've found this amazing showrunner. He's fantastic. He went to Penn. Uh, and he also um, worked on Wall Street, which is which is just perfect because he gets all of the stuff and the the high stakes, the amount, the billions of dollars that are involved. Um, and um, so, yeah, so, we you know, we've been working together and I'm, I'm very involved, which is great. You know, a lot of times that the uh, production company and the showrunner, you know, they say thank you, writer, and then they 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 push you out the door and you're lucky if they don't trip you as they push you. Right. Um, but they've been amazing and I'm involved, uh, and I'm going to continue to be involved, which is really wonderful. And, and I'm just, I'm very excited. You know, I, I don't know when we may see it, you know, kind of on our screens, cause these things take a long time, but I'm hoping somewhere around a year to a year and a half, you know, they'll, you'll be able to see R- ruse on TV.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So Final takeaways, kind of looking back on everything that your life has unexpectedly brought you. What yeah, what would be your biggest takeaways or, or lessons or just kind of reflections on the whole thing?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I would not recommend my career to anyone. Uh, <laughs> I'm not proud of my career, but it is a hell of a story, right? And I think what I tell people because obviously I had all these different careers and I had some pretty high highs and these careers and some low lows. And I think that's just what life is. And, and I just, talk about the journey right enjoying the process enjoy the journey enjoy the people that you're working with because one day you won't be working with them and 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 you may miss them you know and you probably will miss not all of them but you're gonna miss a lot of them and <laughs> and you'll look back on those days probably more fondly than maybe you're feeling in the moment and that's why it's really important to appreciate uh, the moment the process and the journey because you know it's it's really not about where you're going to get to. You know, I thought I wanted to be some big giant star and and that was, you know, where I wanted to get to. And obviously that didn't happen, but then we see stories all the time where people are at the highest highs and they're miserable. So, um, you know, you know, be grateful for what you have and enjoy the journey.
1: That's it for this episode of KYW news radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa, and we'll have another episode out soon.